Almighty God, thank you for Sabbath rest. Thank you that we're not made for it, but it is made for us. Thank you for quiet. I know this has been a really weird year for all of us. Um, and I hope that in it, even through the storm of it, that there have been moments of quiet solitude where we, we might not know what's going to happen, but we realize that we know the one who does. Lord, this is your message for them, your message for us, not my message for them. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, and speak with my mouth so that your words are spoken today. And Lord, I ask that if there's anything that you want said that I haven't thought of, that you make it clear, and I will speak your words to your people. And if there's something I have planned to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want us to see and hear and receive. In the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, there's a passage that we're going to read that almost every pastor or theologian would pick and say this. This is about the passion. This is about the, the crucifixion. This is about the culmination, the watershed event of all of history. And this is a preparation time, and it is. In fact, you'll, you'll see, if you, if you look through this, you'll see that, that it's uh, the plot against Jesus, and then it's uh, Jesus is unknown at Bethany, and then there's the um, Last Supper, and Judas betrays Jesus. And I mean, it's all, this is all, this is the last couple of days of Jesus' life. But there's something glorious in here as well not just the act of this woman, but the posture that Jesus has when she does her thing. And let's just read it. It reads like this. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, I find it curious that he's known as Simon the leper and not Simon the guy who used to be a leper. But people remember who people were, not who they are. But nevertheless, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, they don't sit at tables like we do. If you think in, in the East, I think Japan in particular, they sit on pillows with a shortened table. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I know that there's some Eastern cultures that they're not sitting in chairs or stools. They're, they're reclining from the floor. Now, these people used to, and you'll see some of the, some, some of the paintings of Jesus, that they, they kind of lean over on one elbow, and I don't know how that helps their rotator cuff, but, and they kind of eat reclining. And I'm pretty sure Jesus being fully human and fully, fully divine at the same time, he knew what was coming. But I want you to picture for a moment, if you're sitting at your dinner table having a meal with some friends um, a year from now or a year ago, um, and, and someone walks up to you from behind and pours milk all over your head, what's your immediate response going to be? Water, milk, honey, oil, whatever. I mean, you're going to go, what? what? Are you kidding? It's not his posture. So either he knew or he sensed, or whatever it was, but this woman came to him, approached him, and poured very expensive perfume all over his head. His disciples had a response that's more like mine, I think, would have been. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant, especially if they're Dutch or Scottish. They, they, they want to, look, don't let that go to waste. What a waste! This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always be with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. 
wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It's a glorious story. But I want you to notice what she has done to me. What she has done, is a, what she has done to me is a beautiful thing. I love Jesus' posture in this. And, and the gospel writers all have accounts of people doing something in service to Jesus. That I, that, and his posture is very similar every time. Even the Syrophoenician woman, the woman who, who, who approaches Jesus and says, my daughter's sick, you can heal her. And he says, well, you know, he kind of calls her a dog, a doggy. He says, why would I take the meal from the kids and give it to the dogs? And she says, even... Even the dogs pick up the scraps that fall from the table. And he said, you're, I've not seen faith like you. You're yours. Your faith has made your daughter well go. There's other time, Mary and Martha, you know that story when one is serving, one is sitting at Jesus' feet and just adoring him and another um, is off. She's, she's busy. She's trying to be a good hostess. And she's mad at the one that's at his feet. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is what's most important right now, not all of the busyness. And then the woman who, with a very sinful past, she finds out that Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house and she approaches how she got into the Pharisee's house. I have no idea because sinners aren't allowed to be in the presence of the holy ones. But she makes it in and she falls at his feet and she cries so much that her, her tears wash Jesus' feet and then she wipes it up with her hair. And the Pharisee is like, how could you let a woman like that touch you? Don't you know what kind of a person she is? And Jesus turns and I'm going to use, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to use American denomination um, uh, money-wise, but he turns to Peter and he goes, Peter, if two men owe the same lender money, one $5,000, the other $50,000, and they can't pay it, and one of them is, and both of them are forgiven their debt. Who do you think will love the lender more? The one forgiven 5,000 or the one forgiven 50,000? And Peter goes, well, I, would, I, I guess it would be the one who was forgiven 50,000. And then Jesus turns back to the Pharisee and he says, her sin is great. So much has been forgiven. And so there will be much love from her. If someone has little sin and little is forgiven, there'll be less love in return. Then he turns to the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. There's something beautiful. He served them, but he received service from them. He received adoration from them. That's what worship is. When we show up to church, we expect to get something from God. But first, we give him our praise. We give him our honor. We sing songs to him. We give him our offerings. We, we come and we offer to him our worship. We bend our knee. We bend. We, we, our posture is, is, Lord Jesus, it's what you have for us, not what I have to give. And then we expect that God would give us something in return. It's not transactional. It's not like if I do this, you have to do this. But, but there's a two-way relationship here. And I think that sometimes we miss that part of what it means to be a neighbor. I mean, we talked um, in the first week, we talked a bit about how, yeah, the, the, the good Samaritan, you know, the word, he's a, the, 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 the guy who's beaten on the side of the road, he's gross, he's left half dead, and the priest can't be bothered with it, the Levite can't be bothered with it, but the Samaritan, he went, it was messy, it was inconvenient, it was expensive, it was, it was, all, it, it was potentially dangerous, but he did the right thing, and Jesus turns to the, to, to the people that were asking the question, who is my neighbor, to the person asking the question, who's my neighbor, he said, which one of these was a neighbor to the man left half dead. 
the one who showed mercy on him. Okay, we get that. We get that the most disenfranchised, the hungriest people, the, the people that are, that are on the fringes, the people that, that are the least of these, we're supposed to care about. But Pastor Chris reminded us that maybe we're also supposed to love the people that are actually living next door to us, our neighbor. And he challenged us to get to know our neighbors by name. He, you know, just map out the people that live close, eight, the eight homes or residences closest to you, figure out who they are. Introduce yourself, call them by name, look for opportunities to ask them for how you can pray or how you can serve, that kind of thing. That's all outward going, not inward coming. And that's good stuff. But there's something about loving someone by letting them love you. I'm going to read from this Galatians 6 passage, just so you see that it's not only Jesus, but it's, it's, it's part of the gospel. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to some, somebody else. For each one of you should carry your own load. Now, it seems like Carry each other's burdens, but you should carry your own load. We'll get to that in a sec. Um, and then the one I just wanted to keep reading because I just think it's fun as a preacher. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Just playing. Okay. This seems to contradict itself, but it doesn't. Each of you should carry his own load is a future tensed verb. Each of you will indeed have to meet Jesus on your own of your own accord. But when it says that you're supposed to bear, to bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ, let me put it to you this way. Pastor Tim Vink is sitting over here. If, uh, if, if Tim is hurting or if he needs help, and he asks me to help bear that burden with him, I fulfill the law of Christ by coming alongside and bearing his burden. But there are times when I need my burdens borne and I deny him the chance to fulfill the law of Christ if I don't let him know what my need is and allow him to bear my burden with me. And that is hard, especially with the good Dutch work ethic that we have, especially with the American um, worldview that we have. And I'm, I'm, man, I'm true blood. I'm true blue American, grade A beef. Well, maybe not grade A, maybe grade B. Um, uh, but but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as, I'm as, I'm as red-blooded Midwestern and Southern American as you get. I just am. And I get the whole rugged individual thing, the self-made, the self-sufficiency. I don't want to be entitled. In fact, that word just repulses me. But who am I to deny someone else the opportunity to fulfill the law of Christ? See, Jesus decided in a, to, to use a supernatural vehicle to accomplish his will on this planet. He came, in fact, John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and pitched his tent, he tabernacled, pitched his tent next door. He became our neighbor. God became our neighbor. Why did he come? forgive us for our sins. Yep. Good, good answer. He became, he came because we needed him to come. If he did not come, if he did not reconcile us to God, if he did not show us mercy and, and compassion and give us grace, if he did not reconcile us to God, if he did not forgive us of our sins and redeem us, we're doomed. So the whole gospel starts off with God showing up, letting us know our need and allowing him to meet our need. Now there's a peace of the gospel that I struggle with. 
Now go back to 1985. I was, in, I was a freshman at Hope College. I lived on third floor of Scott Hall, 310. I was pledging a fraternity. And before you judge me, I've judged myself for years on that. I regret it. There's a lot of things I did that I should not have done. But I learned one thing. About the second week in pledging, we got called out for, for a special night. Um, it's about 11 o'clock at night, and you had, you had five minutes after you got the phone call to get there, and you're just going to do push-ups until you throw up. That's what it was. So I run down the stairs, three flights of stairs, and I grab his young, fit, 19, almost 20 years old, grab the handles of the rails, and launch myself down each stairwell. So there's six of them when you go down the... And the last one, when I landed, my left ankle turned and it tore ligaments in my ankle. I ended up in the emergency room, the hospital. Didn't have to have surgery, didn't tear them all the way through, but it was severely sprained in kind of a cast. And uh, a couple of days later, we had an event with a mission for our pledge class. We went to Lake Town Beach or Lake Town Dunes, and we had to, as a whole group, had to carry something very heavy up. If you imagine a bunch of college guys wanting to have a bonfire, there's going to be this big uh, cylindrical thing that has a pump on top. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. We had to carry that up, and there were ice three inches under the sand, and I'm on crutches. And so me and my friend John Title, who I went to high school with, he has cerebral palsy. We needed to, we needed to carry him up, but it was me and Johnny that guide Sean Luckman and Arden Bachman up took turns putting me over their back or over their shoulders and carrying me up this dune, across this trail, back down to the bowl. And then after the whole night was done, do it again. So if, what if I would have said to them, I'll meet you there. I'm going to crawl my way up there. I am, this is not about being brothers. This is about me being tough. I would have denied Arden and Sean, who ended up being dear friends for, and still are. I would have denied them the opportunity to care for me. Pastor Greg is preaching a message just like this over a mosaic, and the title of his is, Don't Steal My Joy. When Lynn and I started dating, I'm not going to get into the, all the circumstances because you've heard the story before, but we started dating on February 26, uh, 1989. The reason I remember that day is because it happened to be my birthday. So I'm not that great that I would remember the first time we started dating, except that it was on my birthday. Um, and then a month later, I was in a severe car accident where my arteries and two nerves were severed in my arm. You've heard the story. But it, this whole arm from here this way for months was completely and utterly numb and useless. It was a dead hand. Um, so I don't know if you've ever tried this, but sometime do it. If you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, try spreading peanut butter on a piece of bread with one hand. Couldn't do it. So here I am, 22 years old, uh, 23 years old, just turned 23, um, on my own in Chicago. We had just started dating. I mean, guys, you, you, we, kinda, we want to impress the woman we start to date, right? We want her to know that we're tough and that we're capable and that we're able. And here I am, this broken mess. She had to come over from work every day at lunchtime to make me something to eat. And then in the evening she would come and she would take care of me until she went back to her apartment. And then three months later, I hopped down a hill and broke everything below my left knee. Uh, three, three, uh, two surgeries and three screws cast up to here and I had a stick shift for a car. Somehow, some way, that, that first kind of romantic, um, everything's perfect, there's no flaw in, 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 in the person that you're dating, for us was gone. And she served me. And I hate needing. But I could not have done it. And I think it made our relationship real very quickly. But when I met her dad, 
and asked for permission to marry her. I, had, I couldn't shake his hand right-handed because the hand didn't work. I'm on crutches with no cast. I had to shake his hand, and when I shook his hand left-handed, he grabbed me right here, so it was one of those. And then we went off to the beach to get married, or to, not to get married, but to, to, to get engaged. She didn't know this yet, but she, she had to help me walk down the beach. It is humiliating. But at the same time, there's something about letting someone else love you, letting someone else serve you. Pastor Greg says, don't steal my joy. Um, back, I don't remember what year it was, but my brother Heath, my father-in-law and I went fishing for King Salmon on the uh, Washington, uh, Olympic Peninsula in the Washington Columbia River. And a friend of mine, I'll just call him Tom H., uh, Tom had a house on Lake Mack and he knew I was a fisherman. I didn't have a boat at the time and he wanted me to use his boat. 30 something feet long, two, Mer or two Mercury or Yamaha, 250s on the back, center console, way out of my league, never used something like that, no trolling motor. So he obviously didn't know what kind of fishing I do, but he so desperately wanted me to use this thing that he has. And he, three times he invited me over to his house. He finally got me to come and he showed me how to use the lift, how to crank the motors, how, to, how they turn differently so that you can kind of maneuver. And, and I'm just like, this is way, what, what if I do something to this thing? This has to be two, $300,000 boat. What am I, what am I? And oh, yeah, yeah, I'll use it. But I didn't, I didn't mean it. And I'm sitting with my father-in-law and I, and I, at, a, at a steak dinner in Washington and I, I tell him about this and he goes, well, do you know him well? I go, yeah, I know him really well. Is he trustworthy? Yeah. Are there going to be any strings attached if you use this? Well, no. Well, then why would you deny him the opportunity to be generous if that's what he feels like he needs to do? Just two days ago, we came home from Florida and there were 80 to 100 cards from all of you. Some people sent three. Congratulations on the granddaughter. Merry Christmas. I'm sorry you lost your dad. And then I came to church yesterday afternoon and there were another 25 or 30 cards. Just like that, some two pages long of people writing. As a church, you're known for caring for people with cards in bereavement. And I want to tell you, I, I had never experienced it. I want to tell you, great job. That is gospel ministry. Because some of the names, I don't know the faces, but I felt like I mattered. And when Lynn and I got home, we had asked a neighbor to pick up our mail. Now, Keep in mind, this is mail right before Christmas, lots of packages. Lynn had ordered something heavy and, and to water our plants while we were gone. Now, we, the, the neighbor across the street had just moved out. We, I kind of knew him, felt comfortable with that. The guy next door, know him. We've traded tools and you know, garbage cans and that kind of stuff before. And we're just getting to know this other couple. And Lynn reached out to them to ask them if they would do this. And I have a, one of those uh, doorbells that tells you when someone comes to your front door and my garage door tells me on my phone when it opens. So every day I knew when they or she was coming in to, um, to take care of the plants and to bring stuff in every day. And when we got home, not only was everything organized and the plants not dead, because they would have been if I was taking care of them, but everything was in a box. It was everything was organized, but there was a meal waiting for us in our fridge with a side dish and dessert and a note welcoming us home and basically thanking us for the opportunity to do this. That's glorious. And how dare me be so self-sufficient 
Did I deny someone else the chance to be hospitable, to serve, or to love because I don't want to be in need? Folks, part of the gospel, this supernatural vehicle called the church that Jesus chooses to use to communicate his gospel, his hope for humanity to all of humanity is us being humble enough to allow others to care for us. How do you do that in COVID-19? I have no idea, but I can tell you one thing, men in particular, if you have a snowblower and I have a really good one, got some work getting done on it, it's being delivered on, on Tuesday and I love to snowblow my neighborhood because we have a lot of retired folks, that kind of thing. And, and, but I, and I keep thinking if someone has a snowblower and theirs breaks down and they knock on my door and ask if they could use mine, of course. But if mine were broken, would I go across the street and ask to borrow someone else's? Nope. I'd be out there with all the physical stuff going on in my body right now, shoveling and paying the price for the next two weeks. Why? Because I'm proud and not humble. See, there are people that are gifted in ways that we don't know, and they might not know it either. And I dishonor them by not giving them a chance to show mercy, grace, care, compassion, or love toward me. And I want to thank all of you who have shown mercy, love, compassion, and grace toward me. But I want to challenge you. I had four men, or four wives of men, when I was saying goodbye to people after the last service. Oh, he needed to hear that. <laughs> he hates asking for help, and so do I. In fact, just this morning, uh, pastors Chris and Greg and Kurt and me and, um, and Doug were all here last night. Um, Kurt said it was because he missed me, but I don't believe it. And uh, they heard the message. And this morning, um, when we're meeting for prayer, and this, is, this really is part of the message, and I hope you're seeing the, the theme here. But I'm sitting there with them, um, and I'm like, before we prayed, I said, look, guys, I'm going to need your help because there's enough pain that I don't, and the desk that I have in my, in my office is really, I mean, it is crazy heavy. But I'm going to need your help this week or maybe right after Christmas, moving one of those stand-up desks down into my office and helping me get this other one out. And it was mentioned that a couple of other people had said that they might like that stand-up desk. I'm like, well, let them have it. Let, yeah, yeah, I, got, I can buy one. You know, because there's this old rule of leadership in the military that the soldiers eat first, enlisted eat first, officers eat last, right? So I don't want to be the guy like, well, yeah, well, Trent gets it because he's the lead pastor. So I'm like, no, I got it. So it's all good. It's all good. So we get done praying and then Doug, Pastor Doug leans over and he goes, hey, I, I want to ask something of you. Well, that, that, that speaks to my loyalty and like, I'll do whatever I can for people, right? All right, what's, what's up? He goes, I want you to practice what you're going to preach this morning. And let us put that desk in your office so you have the stand-up sit-down because of the, what's going on in your body. <sighs> but why? Why? Why is it okay to have a need if it helps my brother or my sister fulfill the law of Christ? Bear one another's burden. What she did for me was a beautiful thing, says Jesus. The disciples, how dare it? What a waste. The, the Pharisee, can you, what kind of a person? And he's like, he, he receives our adoration. 
he receives our love. He gives. He came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. But when people did serve him, when people did worship him, when people did fall at their knees and praise him, he received it. Not because he needed it, but because they did. And there may be someone who needs to serve you because they need it. So one of the ways to be a neighbor is to let someone be a neighbor to you. And I think, I'm not positive, but I think that's part of the gospel that we miss a lot. And we, we frame it in Christian terms, like I, 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 I wanna serve others, but there's something glorious about being served. And there's nine seconds on my clock, up there it says zero. Instead of doing this little nugget at the end, I wanna leave you with this. I'm not gonna spend the next six weeks, every message talking about my dad, but I wanna tell you one thing. Something I learned, I've learned a lot in the last two weeks. Some of it I don't like. Um, but when scripture tells you something and you don't like it, you're probably wrong. So we had planned to go down and care for my dad. And I heard stories from my brothers who were able to make it down there that it was hard because he fell a lot and he couldn't get up. And when he, he would try to go to the bathroom and he would fall and then, then my brothers would have to help my dad, this tough old cuss, southern cuss. I mean, it had to be humiliating for him, but they had to help him change his underwear and put salve on his bed sores and that kind of thing. And I, I, part of me was like, I, I, don't want, I don't want him to have to let me see him that way. I think it would be humiliating. But then we got down there and my son decided from Colorado at his own expense to come down. He didn't know his grandpa that well, but he knows me well. And he knows that this is gonna be hard and it was important. So he came for me. And then I thought, what about my dad? He had three sons and one of his, and he had three of his sons and one of his daughter, his only daughter, make a special trip down there to care for him when he was in need. They loved him and he let them. Don't all of us want that one day? If we're in need, that our children would come and take care of us? You know that there are people that are children of God that want to take care of you that live right next door, that want to help. Doesn't have to be big, you don't have to be needy, but you can share with them your need. When you ask what you can pray for, and they tell you, and then they ask you in return, well, what, what can I pray for for you? Ah, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. You know what that says? I'm here to care for you, but you can't care for me. That's pride. You know how much it honors someone when you trust them with your stuff as you're asking them to trust you with theirs? Serve by being served. It's a glorious thing, but oh, is it hard. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Arden and Sean, for Lynn, for our neighbors, for this church and their care and compassion, for the pastors, call me on my stuff. And Lord, we thank you just because you're you, that we needed redemption and you freely offered it. Help us, Lord, give us the courage and the humility to not only love those who need love, not only serve those who need serving, but to be served and to let our burdens be borne by others. In Jesus' name, for his sake, for your glory we pray. Amen.